um, it's this topic of what is called the, the millennial kingdom or the, the kingdom of heaven or the thousand year reign of Christ, which we see in Revelation, but also all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. Um, because this is such a massive topic, I'm really only going to be able to give a brief overview tonight of what is going on. Um, and just as I started to prepare this, I was just absolutely overwhelmed at the hundreds and hundreds of scriptures that were actually about this topic. But until I started to see it, I just wasn't aware of the immense amount of times that God talks about this topic. So like I said, this this uh, kingdom is called the millennial kingdom, the millennial reign, the reign of Christ on earth, or the kingdom of heaven. All right, so Devin, do you want to just whack those slides up? Um, just so you can see, this is a brief overview of the big picture of history. All right, so we have 4,000 years. When you count up all the generations from, from Adam uh, to Jesus, you count back and it's approximately 4,000 years, all right? Then we've got our New Testament. I put these... Uh, question marks, because I personally don't know the date of the rapture yet. I don't know if anybody else does, but no one else in all of history has got that right yet. So that's a, it's an approximate, uh, approximate block, that, that blue block. I, I personally believe that it's close. You know, we, we are living in what I believe is one of the most privileged times in all of history where we see Bible prophecy is coming into play right, be, right before our very eyes. You know, everything that's going on in the Middle East with Israel um, and also all these yeah, scriptures that are, numerous scriptures in the Bible talk about what I believe is this time that we are just on, on the verge of. But that's my personal opinion, and it's for all of you guys to do the study and to really take that to the Holy Spirit yourself. Now, this green, this little green segment here is what I'm going to be talking about tonight. It's called the Millennial Reign or the Thousand Year Reign of Christ. Just out of interest, how many of us have looked into this topic before? A few. That's, that's cool. That's why I'm doing this, because it's such an, a topic that is so vitally important, and it, it flows throughout the entire Bible, but we are so unaware of what it's about. And the yellow eternity is obviously uh, not to scale. <laughs> um, but yeah, anyway. So just, just keep that in mind. When I talk about the millennial reign or the kingdom of heaven, I'm talking about this little green segment here, this thousand-year reign of Christ. All right. So what this, this thousand-year reign helps us to understand, it, it lets us know, one, what, what's going to happen when Jesus comes back, why we are told to actually prepare for his second coming. We're not told to prepare for the day that he comes. We're told to prepare for what is to happen after he comes back. Um, we won't understand anything of what Greg has been talking about, of the bride of Christ, of ruling and reigning with God. That just doesn't make sense if you think we're going to be saved and then go to heaven for the, when, when we die. It, it, it just, just doesn't make any sense at all. Every time that God talks in the Bible about inheritance or rewards or anything like this, there is an aspect, yes, that we can live in right now as Christians, but a lot of it is to do with this future coming millennial reign. And even our purpose here, what we do with our lives, what we think about God, everything we read in the scripture has uh, a relationship to this 1,000-year millennial reign of Christ. So I know for myself personally, coming into 
not just, not just an intellectual understanding. I study the scriptures, but sometimes I study and I have to go for walks around the block because this thing is so, it's, it's just transforming me as a person. I don't, I don't understand everything there is to know about this. Like I said, I'm just going to be giving a brief introduction, but it really has transformed every part of my life, what I do with my time um, and, and everything else. So I hope that the Holy Spirit um, will do that to us as we, as we talk about this tonight. So if we just pray, that would be awesome. And uh, like, I, I like to do this every time I'm, I'm preaching, but I'm only preaching because we are all in need of receiving something, including myself. So if I just ask and I, if I just pray for you, it's absolutely just like these words that are just going into the air and nothing is going to happen. So we all need to participate in this, all right? Even the back row bandits, all right? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your transforming power in our lives. Father, we thank you for this incredible plan of salvation that you had in mind before the beginning of this earth, for the beginning of eternity. You planned and predestined each one of us to be here and to be a part of your plans and your purposes. So Holy Spirit, as us by your power that you would make known the person of Jesus who would lead us to the Father. We allow you in to come and change and transform our hearts. And I thank you, Jesus, that you are truth. And I thank you by hearing this word, we can come into a deeper level of understanding, not in our heads, but in our hearts of who the person of Jesus is. And in terms of that, flowing forth to see who we really are and what we really have been called to in Jesus' name. All right. So just a little bit of history and context that is very important to understand regarding any of this stuff that I'm going to be talking about tonight and any of the stuff probably Greg and uh, Simon and all Chris, all the other guys, Clay, have been talking about over the last, um, I'd say, year or so. Is this? Um, so throughout the Old Testament, we have what is called or a lot of, of prophecies, right? And there were two types of two key types of prophecies about a coming Messiah that was in the Old Testament. Um, the first of those were of the servant who is going to come and die on the cross. Um, for us as people, he's going he's gonna to come and serve us um, and do that sort of uh, stuff. Um, so if you have your Bible, just have a flick to uh, Isaiah 53. It says this, Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of all of us to fall on him. So who is this Old Testament prophecy talking about? Jesus. All right. So we've heard this verse, verse 5. But he was pierced through for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. Talking about this Messiah that would come that would uh, be literally pierced. 
what I, what I love about these Old Testament prophecies is that he wasn't metaphorically pierced for our transgressions. He didn't, it wasn't a metaphor of a king that would come and die. It was a, the reality is that this, the Savior would come, would actually and physically be pierced for our transgressions. So that is just one of many scriptures that prophesy this, this first coming of a servant king who would die for these people. But for every one of these scriptures about this, this coming Messiah who would be pierced for the transgressions of the people, there were eight concerning a conquering king who would come back and literally reign over the nations of the earth. So just forgot, um, I'm going to quote a few figures. Um, this one is by Chuck Missler, um, who is one of the most well-known and well-respected Bible teachers that we have today. Um, I didn't count up all of these myself and do the math. He did it. So eight times more prophecies in the Old Testament about a Messiah who would come and reign over the nations of the earth. Um, no wonder when he turned up, all of the Jews, everything they expected was for this king to conquer the, the physical like nation of Israel and he was going to reign over them. That's why they expected him because there's eight times more referring to the second coming than there was of the first coming. I'll just actually go back because I missed a very important point um, earlier on. In terms of this millennial kingdom, the, this is going to blow you away. And again, this is a fact that I didn't calculate myself was done by Chuck Misser and his team. There are 1,845 references in the Old Testament to this little time period here, the millennial reign of Christ. And as I was preparing this, I thought I could just get up and share this, this one point, and just sit down because to see, listen, 1,845 references to this one little segment in history in the Old Testament. Do we need the Old Testament today? Absolutely. In the New Testament, because of its smaller size, there's 318 references to this little period in all of history, in, in history, where the Messiah would come and literally rule over the earth. You know, I hear sermons preached and it'll say something like, oh, God said this five times in the Bible, so it must be important. What about 2,163 times or more did he talk about this little green box of time? Do we need to know about it? Do we need to know about it? Absolutely. I mean, I could, I could sit down now and you would have to go away and look up the kingdom of heaven and why it is important just because of the number of times it was, it was, it was referenced. Today. That's why I love so much about the Old Testament is when you start to see it, you start to see Jesus on every single page of the Old Testament. In everything. The person of Jesus. Not a, not a metaphoric figure. He didn't, like I said before, he didn't metaphorically die on the cross. He, lit he was literally pierced for our transgressions. And when he comes back, he's going to literally fulfill the 2,163 references made to him literally coming back and ruling and reigning over this earth. Isn't that absolutely incredible? Why have I never heard a sermon preached on this before? Anyway, back, back on topic. Um, all right. So for every, every one prophecy of his first coming, there's eight concerning his second coming. 
All right, so he's going to be a conquering king who would rule over the nations, and he was a fulfillment of God's promises to David, who said um, he's going to get a, uh, a king who would sit on the throne of David. Um, and it has a lot of implications to the restoration of Israel, but I'm not going to go into that tonight. So, for example, these prophecies about the conquering king. Isaiah 9, verse 6 to 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, in order to establish it with judgment and justice. I'll read that again. To order it and to establish it with judgment and justice. From that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Daniel 7 verse 14, he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that would not pass away, and his kingdom is one that would never be destroyed. All kings, Psalm 72 verse 11, all kings would bow down to him, and all nations will serve him. Micah 4 verse 7, I will make, a lame, sorry, I will make the lame a remnant. Remnant, those driven away, a strong nation, talking about the nation of Israel. The Lord will rule over them in Mount Zion that day and forever. So have these prophecies been fulfilled yet? No, not yet. So every prophecy that hasn't been fulfilled is going to come and be fulfilled in the future. So when you are reading prophecies in in the Old Testament, that's just a simple thing to, to think to yourself. Is Jesus ruling over the nations yet? Has that happened? No. All right, something to look forward to in the future. If Jesus doesn't come back to literally rule over this earth, then the person that hung on that cross 2,000 years ago was not the Savior. We may as well just give up everything that we're doing now. Because in order for him to be the Savior, he has to fulfill both the suffering servant and the conquering king. Does that make sense? So if he doesn't literally come back, and if he doesn't literally rule over this earth, that everything that we are hoping for, everything that we are doing week in, week out, in our lives, our worship to this Savior, if he doesn't come back and literally rule over the nations of this earth, that wasn't the Savior that, wasn't the savior, that man on the cross 2,000 years ago. So I talked um, a few weeks back about his first coming um, and how he flawlessly fulfilled not only the 613 Levitical laws, but what is called the, the feast days. So for example... Each year they would celebrate a feast, um, for example, Passover, on a, on a specific day at a specific time. When Jesus came, he was crucified at the, at the time where they would sacrifice that sacrificial lamb and they would slaughter it for the sins of the people. Jesus fulfilled this on the day, on the hour that, that he came. And so when he comes to fulfill these other prophecies, it's going to be exactly the same. He is literally going to fulfill all of these second coming prophecies to the day, to the hour that this Bible prophesies. And I'm, and I'm not going to go into great detail on that, but it's just a fascinating study if you're interested. Feast of the Lord. All right. So I talked, like, we, we all agree this is important, right? All right. Got you on, on the right track. We're, we're on the same page. Um, so now into the New Testament. And in the book of Matthew, if you're interested at all about this topic, it's a great place to start. Um, the book of Matthew was specifically written to the Jews. 
to address, the, this is one of the primary issues that's addressed, it's addressed um, in the book of Matthew because all of the Jews expected this conquering king. Remember, eight times more prophecies about the conquering king. They expected this king to rule over the nations. And Jesus addresses this time and time again. So when you see the kingdom of heaven is like, you know he's referring to this uh, very reality. So for the sake of, of time, I, when I was preparing this, um, I just started to write out, and I had about seven pages just of Scripture um, about the second coming. So I decided to, <laughs> um, to refine a little bit, and I'm just going to tell you what is going to happen. And if you are interested in this, I really, really, really encourage you to come and talk to me, and I can email you all the different references about this. Um, I hate preaching my own opinion. I only like talking about what is in here. Um, so anyway, so Christ reigning on the earth. Like I said, it's going to be a literal reign on this very earth, this very earth that we are standing on right now. Satan is going to be bound for a thousand years. Jesus is going to be sitting on his throne. Um, he's going to come back to Mount Zion and he's going to rule the earth from Jerusalem. Um, that's where we see prophecies about every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Has that happened yet? No, because not every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. They might, they might not choose him as their savior, but they have to confess that he is Lord because he is literally sitting on his throne. No one can deny that he is the Lord of heaven and the earth. Those Christians who have been killed um, in, the, in the past or those who are alive will, uh, will be resurrected, will be raptured. I'm not going to go into the specifics of that today, but they'll receive their resurrected bodies and they will be ruling on this earth with Christ. So we'll have... Uh, the non-believers, um, the, the Israelites who will be, and, and the Israelites who will be on this earth in their normal physical state, just like you and I are today, they'll be uh, doing, you know, just what you do, having babies, all the rest. But believers, what? <laughs> Everybody likes having babies. <laughs> um, um, the believers will be in their resurrected glorified bodies, all right? So if you, like I said, I've got all, of, I had all of these scriptures down, but, I, but for the sake of time, you have to come and ask me afterwards. So there will still be sin and death in the world. People will be um, doing their normal thing. People will be dying, all that sort of stuff. Um, but, the, but Jesus will be on his throne and the earth will begin um, to be transformed to its Eden-like conditions. So we have here prophecies like, um, the wolf will dwell with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with the young goat. And the calf and the young lion are felting. I don't even know what that word felting means together. And the little boy will lead them. So it's going to be a time of, of, of peace, not just among people, but among the animals as Jesus sits on a stone um, and literally begins to restore the earth back to the way it was designed to be. All right, so just in case I'm lying. Revelation 20, verse 4 to 6. Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God. And those who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not, re not received the mark on their forehead and on their hands. So that's talking about the tribulation. You can look it up later. And they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Remember I said, we talked about this before. It's a literal thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who is a part of the first resurrection. All right, so we see here 
thousand years. That's the key point. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. What an incredible position we find ourselves in as Christians, having been given this opportunity to literally reign on this earth with Christ for a thousand years. It's incredible, hey? All right. So a common misconception that we have, not only as Christians, but across the board, is that this is what this is what life is. You know, you you're born, you, you accept Jesus, He cleanses you from your sins, you die, you go to heaven. It's pretty much what we believe as Christians, right? That by far is does not even scrape the surface of God's incredible plan for His people and what He has destined them for. You know, there's just so much more than that. We have those 2,163 references to Jesus being back on this earth to look forward to. And like I read before in the scripture, the inheritance for faithful believers is to rule and reign with Christ on this earth. So Revelation 2 verse 26, He who overcomes and who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. See in Revelation 5, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. So where are we going to reign? On this earth that we are standing on right now. So this is the calling of each one of us as a Christian to rule and reign on the earth with, with Jesus to be his bride and to be his overcomer. That is our calling as believers. It's our first and foremost, I believe, our primary calling. We are called to be his bride and to rule and reign on the earth with him. Hebrews 3 verse 1 says, Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. All right, so what type of calling do we have? A heavenly calling. All right. Has anybody else along with me ever wondered, what is my calling in life? Or am I the only one that is just a little bit confused as to what I'm actually called to do and to be here on this earth? It says it right there. A heavenly calling. Um, I just think, think back to... Um, Think back to Matthew chapter 22. Um, and Jesus at the parable of the, the wedding feast, right at the end, he says, For many are called, but few are chosen. What is, so what is this talking about? It's talking about a wedding feast where many are called, but few are chosen. So what is our calling? Our calling is to be that bride that he is talking about. We are called to this wedding feast. We are called to rule and reign on this earth with Christ. It's a, it's a heavenly calling. It's a future calling. So when I, when I began to just see just little glimpses of this, that I'm called to be, his, to be his bride, to rule and reign with him, then everything else just managed to bring itself back into alignment. I realized my calling in life is, is not to be a, I don't know, a, 
a, a whatever it is that you that you like being an accountant, a, a preacher, a, what what whatever it is. That's not that's not your calling because that's an earthly thing. My calling's heavenly. I'm called to be his bride. I'm called to rule and reign on earth with him. So if you leave here with anything, realize your calling is a heavenly calling. You might ask me, so what is your, or I can tell you right now that that is your calling, to be his bride and to rule and reign with him. I don't know what each of your assignments are. Right now I'm being assigned to preach to you about the millennial kingdom. I'm going home and I might be assigned, I start work 6 a.m. tomorrow at, at a cafe and make sandwiches and make coffee. My, I'm assigned there tomorrow, but that's not my calling. My calling is to be his bride. Does that make sense? Does that just take all the stress out of finding your, your purpose here in, here in life? Anyway, back on topic. <clears throat> so how, how I see it is like, it's like a, earth is like a, is like a school or like a university. Um, you know, at, at the end of your, your university trimester, you have, um, you know, exams and they determine how qualified you are for being out in the world and doing what you're actually supposed to be doing, right? Um, I was so shocked when I got to university and I had a pol- politics paper and the day before, oh, sorry, the, the week before the exam, they actually told you all the questions that were going to be in the exam. And I was like, what? They actually, he's like, all right, this is the questions that are going to be in the exam. And I had absolutely no excuse to not do well or to, you know, there was no excuse because he had said, this is what is going to be in there. This is what I want you to write. This is how I want you to write it. And this is what I want you to write about. And I was like, well, that was, at first I was like, man, this is awesome. But then I, re- then I started to realize, man, there's no excuses for mucking this one up. This is so what our, our, this is so what life is about. You know, here we are, we are all learning. We're all doing these, these different, we're learning to rule and reign with him and we're learning to be his bride. Then we'll have what's called the judgment. And I, I preached a little while ago back about, about the judgment seat that you can grab if you want, but Man, learning these these things, the the judgment and the the future kingdom have absolutely transformed the way you see things here. So I encourage you to study it. Anyway, you know it's like it's like being at university. We're we're all studying here. We're going to be judged. We're going to be you know we're going to have exams. Why? Because there's something greater that we are called to. This I don't go to university um, to study, and that's it. I go to university to study to, to get exams to equip me for what is going to come in the future. And that's what the, the nature of this earth is. It's a training ground. It's a, you know, and this is not a, a weird and wacky theological concept. Being his bride, I honestly believe, just looks like loving him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Ruling and reigning with him, he's just looking for somebody that's prepared to listen to him and obey what he has to say. It's not, it's not all that complicated. You know, but unless we understand the, the nature of this future kingdom, unless we understand our, our calling in life, our heavenly calling, we won't understand what we're supposed to do here. We won't understand the daily grind. We won't understand relationships. We won't understand why we come to church. All this stuff, when you start to see the bigger picture, it puts everything else into perspective. Mm. It's, it's quite fascinating, eh? Are we, 
are we all on the same page? Are we all, are we all getting this? Um, man, there's, I had lots of, I've got lots of um, parables that I could talk to you about, but I might just give them to you and you can look them up later. Um, Luke 19, verse 11, if you just want to write that down, listen to it or just grab it when you, if you grab the, the city. It's, a, it's an incredible, it's an incredible story. Um, and it starts like this. While they were listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. So when you hear things like that, you realize he's talking, he's addressing this very issue that the Jews had. There's a future kingdom. I'm just going to actually just going to paraphrase this. So this is similar to the, the parable of the talents. And he gives these people a hundred, uh, one person a hundred, I think it's miners. I think it's like a hundred days wages or something like that. Gives a hundred days wages and he says, all right, I'm going away, but I'm coming back. Now, I'm looking to see what you're going to do with this hundred days wages. He gives the same to another person. I think it's 60 or something like that. Um, and you can look up the, the details of this later. And the response at the end is just fascinating. He says, for those people who um, took what they had and they made a hundred more, will be put in charge of, I think it is, five cities. So interesting, you know, that he's talking about this future kingdom to those who are obedient will be put in charge of five cities. You know, everything that I'm talking about tonight, this has got nothing to do with your salvation. I just need to, to put that out there. It's got, you know, when you're, when you're justified, um, you're still, uh, still going to go to, to uh, eternity with the Father. What I'm talking about, like I said, is this little green box here. And that is not necessarily an unconditional um, promise of God. You know, like I talked about the, um, the parable of the wedding banquet. Man, he, he, Jesus, he puts, he puts two extremes into all of these parables. And it's actually quite frightening if you actually capture what he's saying. Uh, one is of incredible, incredible reward to be the the bride of the Messiah himself versus being thrown into the outer darkness. Two massive, massive extremes. And he puts it to you. Where do you want to be? In that place of, of intimacy with him or in the, in the outer darkness? The outer darkness the word in the Greek literally means obscurity. So it's completely different to the word hell or Hades. And it, like I think Greg preached a, a few months ago, it's not got nothing to do with purgatory. It's, in, it's outside. Um, and the root word of it means, literally means outside the presence of a looming shadow. So if you see my shadow is cast down there, the outer darkness will be out, just outside that shadow. Fascinating, eh? But remember, this parable is related to the kingdom of heaven. So he's talking about just this little green box right there. And he's saying to those who are prepared, to those who prepare themselves, to those who are wearing the right wedding clothes, they will be my bride and they will be intimate and they will be ruling and reigning with me. To those who have not prepared themselves will be in this place of outer darkness, of obscurity, outside the presence of, remember, not hell, that's not even, that doesn't even come yet. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven. Two massive extremes, eh? It's like, 
that what I see in this Bible is Jesus, he doesn't do things half-heartedly. But the biggest problem we have in the church is that everybody is half-hearted. It's like he doesn't give you that option. He says, be my bride or be in the outer darkness. Um, it's fascinating anyway. We are so unaware of the harsh realities um, harsh realities that we live in. And why does, why does Jesus put these look, what look to be mean or, or harsh or things in there? I b- believe he's because it's demonstrating what, what he is looking for. Obviously, him himself as a person, he's not half-hearted. He loves you wholeheartedly. That's why his rebukes are so strong. Like in the church of Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, he says this, You do not see that you are poor, wretched, pitiful, blind, and naked. Imagine the, the, the Messiah saying that to your face. You don't see that you're poor, pitiful, wretched, blind, and naked. This is the God of love that we're talking about. Why is he like this? It's because there is such an incredible inheritance for those who are prepared to enter into this process of genuinely loving him. And he doesn't want anybody to miss it. So he pitches these two extremes. One is to be my bride and to rule and reign with me. And the other is to be in obscurity. Are we hearing this? And it's not like, you know, the parable of the wedding feast. He says, many are called, but few are chosen. We are all called. When he says few are chosen, he's not saying, all right, Sam's special and he gets to go there. But you, not not so much. Sorry, mate. You you just, you you did something wrong. You um, remember that time that you did this? No, sin has absolutely nothing to do with this. Um. Many are called, but few are chosen. We are all given the opportunity, and he's looking. Who is prepared to wholeheartedly love him? Like I said, this has got absolutely nothing to do with sin that was paid for 2,000 years ago on the cross, and you received that by making a choice to believe in him. I'm talking about a daily walk of love and intimacy with this person of Jesus. Does that make sense? I'll just read out a few of the rewards for the overcomers. Maybe something to discuss in life groups. I'm sure you maybe have done it already. What does it look like to be an overcomer? Because in all of these, all of these uh, stories, he pitches these two incredibly contrasting um, uh, perspectives. Rewards for the overcomer. He, he shall eat of the tree of life. He shall not be hurt of the second death. These are all in Revelation 2 and 3, by the way. He shall eat of the hidden manna and receive a white stone. And that stone, a new name, which no man knows. I can't even read that. He shall be given authority to rule over the nations. He shall be clothed in a white garment, and his name shall not be blotted out of the book of life, but shall be confessed before the Father and the angels. He shall be a pillar in the temple of God forever. And Christ will write his name, or write him upon God's name, and the name of the new Jerusalem, and of his own new name. He will sit with Christ on his throne, and he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. So this is all 
these are all, all the inheritances for those who walk faithfully, that love him wholeheartedly. And this little section here, this, what we call the, the millennial kingdom, it's not like Santa Claus where you get up on his chair and, like, you know, he says, you know, he's, those sit on, uh, shall sit with Christ on his throne, you know, you hop up on Santa's, claw, Santa's chair and he takes a photo and you hop off, you know. No, it's a thousand years of sitting on his throne and ruling and reigning with him. Um, but like I said, there's two massive realities. And we are given the power of the Holy Spirit to walk in that calling, that heavenly calling that we've been given, to be transformed as people, to, to love him wholeheartedly, to learn to obey him with every second of every minute of every day. That the calling is incredible, our, our heavenly calling. So that's, that's pretty much what, what I have for tonight, but um, there is, like I said, there's 2,163 verses on this very topic. Um, so if you want to know more, either come and talk to me or um, I can actually email you lots of references or you can just get into the Word yourself and discover the incredible realities um, that, have been, that have been given to us. Eh? Do we have any questions? Anything that? Okay. Sweet. Cool. Thanks, guys. Oh, the band want to come up?